This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Ladies and gentlemen, Billy Hallowell and Chris Field, the Church Boys. From the sublime to the ridiculous, but mostly ridiculous. I hate these guys. So, um, I just wanted to quickly, before we get into the stories, point out that um, this show gets a lot of attention. Um, we had some very good attention actually recently that I want to play for you. Um, we actually get reactions from people. So things that we do on this show, people actually uh, give us a reaction. And so I just want to play something real quick. Uh, this is just, I'm taking a point of personal privilege to do this because I think it's friggin' awesome. Okay, just a minute. This is the Church Boys. Leave a message. Hi again. This is Laura Hollowell, Billy's mother, calling. I'm calling because I listened to last week's show and I feel like the message that you played that I had left for you was maybe a little bit too critical. And, 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 and I'm afraid Billy's feelings might have been hurt. He's very, very sensitive. So I just wanted to say, Billy, I'm sorry for, for calling you out that way on the radio. But you can't be going around belching and burping and Lord knows what else on, on the airwaves. People will hear that. And they'll know that it's our family. You're hurting the family, Billy. It's very, very, very disappointing. I'm so, I'm so very disappointed in you. In fact, I take back my apology. I love how critical my mother was. Uh, her, how, how she was saying she was sorry for being so critical. And then she was critical. You know what? The Laura Hollowell saga continues. <laughs> wait until wait until the real Laura Hollowell calls in. Does she sound this is Laura Hollowell, Billy's mother. You won't be able to tell the difference. <laughs> I hope not. Oh, man, you have no idea how much I hope she sounds like that. <laughs> okay, so we're going to do something a little different to start out today. Obviously, that was a little bit different, but it was ridiculous as we like to be. But usually we save this for later in the show. But we're going to go ahead and start out with this. All right, really? You ready, Billy? I'm ready. And now it's time for Billy Hallowell's. Outrage of the week. That had a little more spunk in it, uh, but okay. L- look, this story has been making my head spin since since Monday. Okay, the fact is, I don't understand what's going on at the Vatican. There is some sort of crazy media chaos going yeah. on in which nobody really <laughs> seems to know how they want to handle this story. You know, here's what annoys me. The Pope yeah. has no problem, okay, and this is not about Pope bashing. I just don't understand well, it. it. Can be about no this. problem going on and on about the environment and all these other issues that are very important to him, and that's fine. Yeah. But if you're going to meet with somebody, okay, we're talking about your, your girl Kim Davis my, here, Chris. My, my lady, my woman. If you're going to meet with somebody, okay, then and, and you're going to spend time with them, which, look, it's the Pope. It's hard to get time with the Pope. Then, then why is it that you don't have a story straight about what you're going to tell the media after? Because clearly a meeting like that is going to get out. People right. are going to find out about it. Right. Kim Davis's attorneys yep. told everybody 
Kim Davis met with the Pope. Their version of the story was very interesting. The Pope loves Kim Davis. Thank you so much for your service. Da 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 da. Now, did he praise my, her? Did he praise her stance? I mean, did he give? Well, yeah. Here's the deal. Before we knew that they met on Monday, he was flying back in the papal plane airplane, and the reporters were asking him questions, and they asked him about the issue, okay, of whether or not people should have the right on conscience to to reject serving somebody or whatever. Right. He essentially said, yes, it's a human right, absolutely. And they specifically said, even in the case of government, hmm. and he said, I can't pretend to know the ins and the outs of every detail of every case, but yes, even a government worker should have that right. Interesting. Now, we don't know if he was talking about Kim Davis. The assumption is he probably was, but who knows. Right. Then we find out Thursday before he made those remarks. Now, I don't even know who to be outraged with because the first person that I'm outraged, the first group of people are the people who claim the meeting didn't happen. Those right. are my favorite people, right. the now, truthers. Who was, now, who was saying that, that it never happened? Was it the anti-Kim Davis people? Absolutely. They're saying she's such an awful person. Not only did she not provide licenses, but she lied about meeting with the Pope. All right, look, nobody's that lying like, about... That seems like a provably false lie. Right, right. <laughs> It seems absurd to think that she lied about it. Now, right. what was discussed during that meeting, what was said, that's a different story than whether sure. or not the meeting happened. Sure, sure, sure. So sure. anyway, I'm getting attacked by people on my Facebook page saying this isn't true. I don't believe it. She's lying. I mean, we call. I called the embassy and they confirmed it, that, that they met. Okay, right. so we knew they met. And then the Vatican finally confirmed it. So sure. the Vatican like drags its feet on confirming it and gives this weird sort of like, yes, it. Yeah. well, we're not going to deny that it happened. And it's like, okay, well, that's weird. Uh, yeah. You're not going to deny it happened. Uh, the climate's melting down and the world's going to fall apart. And we love talking about that, but we, we're, we're not going to deny or confirm that a meeting happened. Right. But then they did confirm it, right. which I thought was weird. Then everyone's still going on and on about it on both sides, fighting about whether or not Kim Davis met with the Pope. And then once we knew she did, well, you know, she was just in a line of people. Well, it then, was just a crowd that stormed into the embassy right. that Kim Davis and her right. husband were in. Well, and then, uh, and then it's followed up with, well, yeah, well, we had gay people meet with him too. <laughs> you know, that's like, so, it's like so they it's suddenly like, had to, they suddenly had to find someone else that they could say met with the Pope. I mean, because then it would I, counterbalance the Kim no, Davis meeting. Yeah. Do you know if that's been confirmed that they did meet? Um, not by the, I, I'm pretty sure it's true because it's, sure. a, it's, it's a friend. It's right now it's a report. It was a friend of the Pope who he's known since like 1964. Right. So he's known this. He was one of his, right. he was his he, teacher. He wasn't meeting, uh, he wasn't meeting with him as a counterbalance to Kim Davis. He was meeting right. with him because They're he's friends. known the guy for 50 years. Right. They're <laughs> friends. So exactly, exactly. And you know, so it was sort of spun that way, but but the, what, oh. what is crazy to me, though, is then the Vatican comes out after Kim Davis is like, here's a picture of the rosary he gave me and right. all this other stuff. He told me to stay strong. Get your hands then, off my rosaries. And then they come back. <laughs> get your hands off my rosaries. The, the media, though, sort of blows this out of proportion, too, because they the, the Vatican on Friday morning releases a statement and says, wait, don't take this to mean that we agree with Kim Davis totally. Right. Um, and it, it was just a very weird handling of a situation. Yeah. Look, were you tricked into meeting with her? I, I don't under, I don't think that happens. I mean, right. I can't imagine that happens. Maybe Does they, that happen? Maybe they thought it was a different Kim Davis. You told me the other day you were interviewing <laughs> Mercy Me, right? Yeah. Isn't there a chick on Mercy Me with Mercy Me named Kim Davis, or is that not accurate? There was a woman with the team of people coming into the Blaze newsroom right. named Kim Davis, and they <laughs> sent me the list of people, and I started laughing because maybe I'm like, that's who the Pope thought he was meeting with. <laughs> He wanted to rock out a little bit. He said, yeah, it's Mercy Me's coming. Absolutely, I'll meet with Kim Davis. So, I mean, <laughs> so this poor bubbles so um, Kim Davis. <laughs> but the bottom line is, and she was very sweet, by the way. But um, Who and was? it was not the, the same the, Kim Davis. The, I the, thought mercy it was. Me, the Mercy Me Kim Davis was very sweet? Yes, very nice. Yeah. Um, 
Now, is she the with bo- Mercy Me? What? Is she with Mercy Me? This no, she was like on their team. I think she, I don't okay. know if she's a publicist. All right. She's getting more shout outs in this show than the actual Sorry. Kim Davis at this point. But so but I just don't I don't really understand. And I just I want to read the quote because it's very bizarre. The quote from the Vatican says the Pope did not enter into the details of the situation with of Mrs. Davis and his meeting with her should not be considered a form of support of her position in all of its particular and complex aspects. That is the most bizarre statement. But there's only one reason for the Pope to meet with her. Right. Right? I mean, there's not... I mean, she's known for one thing, and he wasn't going to come out... He wouldn't meet with her to condemn her and what she did. There's only one reason for him to meet with her. Right. Why, Why else would you meet with her if you thought what she was doing was... But this is what drives me crazy. It goes back to the abortion issue, too. Why... Abortion and gay marriage are issues that he is is choosing not to obsess yeah. over. Fine. Why, why is he but being so? You, but he's being so humana 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 on all that stuff. It's weird. It I, is weird. I don't get it. I, and and then also to say in all of its particular and complex aspects. Okay, we get it. You might not agree with every piece of the puzzle or every part of the story. Right. But look, you don't set up. Now I don't care if she was in a crowd. And and in fact, Matt Staver with the Liberty Council, from what I think I got a press release earlier where they were denying this and saying, look, she wasn't in a crowd of people. Right. She was, and I and I was talking to Matt Staver about this, and he was saying the media is not telling the truth in the beginning before we even knew the meeting the meeting took place. I, I'm outraged by how crazy and ridiculous the media coverage of this has been because well, I just, and and it's the Vatican's fault. I don't well, yeah, absolutely because they get it. Why would you if it's some if there are issues you care about, whether it's the gay marriage thing or if it's the um the abortion thing, why would you obfuscate when you have these chances to actually take your stands that your theology stands for these these take a stand for your beliefs the belief system that you are in charge of by the way why would you obfuscate when people say did you meet with you know with kim davis did you talk about same-sex marriage what are your beliefs on same-sex marriage what's the homeless or the um the abortion stance for the church are you going to say anything you have all of these opportunities to say things and then anytime anything is even brought up about those sensitive issues they obfuscate obfuscate they, now they, I don't. They blur can I ask the images and lines. Yeah, you you're not a big fan of Kim Davis and and what we've been through this. I, no, but no, no, but I shouldn't. Uh, that's, of her uh, argument, I'm right, sorry. The way I her. have the way I have conducted myself on this show is an out of proportion way of how I feel. Right. Because, Same for me. Right. I because it's for it's for fun. Right. I think she's probably a nice lady. I think she's probably a godly lady, and and God's continuing to work on her. I just have a difference of opinion on how she's conducting herself in her role as county clerk. That's it. Well, you also have a difference of opinion from Pope Francis on this, which I think is fascinating, but we wouldn't know that based on the Vatican. I have a difference of opinion with the Pope on a lot of things, I would guess. (laughs) Well, listen, I want to read this because she she said, well, the Liberty Council said, this is the quote, alleging they're alleging that the Pope said this. Thank you for your courage. Stay strong. So they're saying this is what the Pope told Kim Davis. Now, could they <laughs> be lying? A, did she get an autographed glossy print of the Pope <laughs> and that's what he wrote on there? <laughs> but I also, one more thing. I, I don't mean to read to everybody, but, okay. but one more thing, because this, this is important. This is what the Pope said on his airplane, and it was an unofficial, uh, you know, it was an unofficial uh, translation. But he right. said, I can't have in my mind all the cases that can exist about conscientious objection. But yes, I can say that conscientious objection is a right that is a part of every human right. It is a right. And then he said, and if a person does not allow others to be objectors, he denies a right. And then he went on to say, 
It's a human right, even when it comes to it. Oh, he, he actually went, in, went on to say that this should be built into judicial systems, that there's obviously that this should be legal, that people should have these exemptions. Right. And, um, and he extended that to people who work for the government, which I think is interesting, saying that they are individuals right. as well. Right. So I don't understand. I, look, is that true? Did he not say that? Are we living in a bizarre world? Is right. it opposite day? I, I don't know. Right. <laughs> I don't it's it's just I, I can't be outraged about this anymore. I just no. it's so bizarre to me. It's just weird. It's and that and I think that that's where but I think that that's where people's outrage comes is that you're supposed to be the head guy of the church. Take a stand one side or the other. Is this an important issue for the church or not? If it isn't, come out and tell us it's not an important issue. If it is, then take the the stand on the important issue. But you I don't like the cherry picking. I don't like the cherry picking because you know look. He, look, the, the Pope had no problem, and again, this is not about Pope bashing, it's just my perception of how messages are put out there. The Pope had no problem sitting in front of Obama and talking, and again, nothing wrong with talking about the sure, environment, sure. talking about the environment, talking about the issues he cared about. Why not at least have an honest discussion? Fine, why don't you tell us what you talked about with Kim Davis then? Right. What? Fine, tell us right. what was said. We know what was said on the airplane. We Apparently, I mean, these reporters said this is what was said. I just don't... It's not mixing for me. And maybe there's something about Kim Davis they don't like that they didn't realize until after. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. That's her I, bun? I don't know. Her hairdo? <laughs> I'm, I'm not I don't understand what, like what it could be. No, okay, here's here's something here's something I would have liked to have been part of. Didn't I read that um Mrs. Mr. Kim Davis came along with? <laughs> yes. Like he was in on the meeting. Yeah. Did he, he got go, a rosary did too. he go shirtless with the t- with the uh overalls and straw hat You're in that awful. meeting? Could You're you imagine? Oh, just, oh, never mind. You, you are awful. I know. Um, tell on. me what the chandeliers are like in hell, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I I can't. I, it's I don't know. The, the thing. The here's where I have trouble being super outraged. In that, uh, listen, I I think you got to take stands. At the same time, I think that this pope is a guy who genuinely loves people and genuinely cares about people. So I have trouble getting outraged because I think he wants to be not political. And then at the but, same time, he'll he go and do the climate change stuff. Yeah, but then he's choosing to be political on other things. So Which I, can't is say, right. I can't say he doesn't want to be political, but I do think that he's genuine in his concern. I agree. And maybe he just operates... Listen, he's not from the U.S. He's never, and he's not... I mean, he's from South America, and now he's in Europe... And maybe he operates under the assumption that, hey, listen, Catholics, you know all these things are universal truths for us. The gay marriage thing doesn't fly. The abortion thing doesn't fly. The contraceptives, I mean, he didn't bring up contraceptives either. But the contraceptives thing, it doesn't fly, right? All these things, these are supposed to be things that are understood by the church. And, and maybe he's saying, these things are supposed to be understood. Let me offer clarification on things that are not understood. And for him, that included climate change. But I, I mean, think part of that to is give being him that honest. benefit. I agree with you 100%. I think they should just be honest. This isn't right. even necessarily him. Right. He's in control of it, but there's a right. spokesperson who's clearly running yeah. the show here, and that spokesperson could probably be a little bit more honest. Yeah. I think we need to go to a break. Okay, let's take a break. We will be right back with no more Pope talk all the time. Delilah. Back to the church board. So earlier this week, Belly posted a, an interview that he did with Franklin Graham, uh, the the son, the noted evangelist preacher, son of uh, of uh, oh good old what's his name? What is his name, Belly? <laughs> Billy Graham. Billy Graham. Uh, 
and uh, there was a little bit of controversy that happened with this portion of the interview that we aired. Now, we've got another interview with Graham, or at least part of an interview that, that we're going to air later in this show, and it's about um, his his dad's last book that he has written. But the interview that you did, Billy, with him, again, that we, that we aired before we recorded this show uh, that we posted... Um, he talks again, he doubles down on his, his anti-Islamic immigration stance. Tell people what you guys talked about because it got into this. That wasn't the intent of the interview, but you did discuss it. Yes. And you can hear my toddler has snuck her way. Oh, is Ava down my, there? Into my office slash studio. But you hear this? Yes. We're hello, cut Ava. This out. Uh, hi, Ava. It's okay. All right. You sit here and you be quiet and you call her. Okay. Since you continue to escape down here. That's okay. So Franklin essentially, and it's kind of crazy because we did this story, I think it was July, that he wrote on Facebook that all Muslims should not be allowed to immigrate. So basically cut off all Islamic immigration to the U.S. until we can get terrorism under control, which... Okay, yeah, that's. I think most people sort of see that as kind of an extreme proposal. It's hard to re- regulate. How do you tell who a Muslim is and isn't? Right, and right, right, right. Okay, so you know, fa- fast forward. We do this interview, and I say to him, "Look, can I ask you? I want to ask you some questions." And I and I said, "I'm going to ask you about some of the things you've written on Facebook recently." And I asked him about that, and I said, "Do you care? You've been getting lambasted by a lot right. of different people on this. Do you care?" He right. said, "I do not care because what I said." Right. It's true. And I've got the clip. So you have I'm just, gonna stop there. You have just asked him, you know, you've been posting this stuff, people have been lambasting you. Do you care? And here's his response. I don't care uh, because what I said was true. Uh, I'm thinking of my children, my grandchildren. I'm thinking of American uh, who live everyday lives who, who don't understand. And I, I first went to the Middle East over 50 years ago. And so I've had lots of experience in the Middle East in Muslim countries and I understand Islam and uh, the dangers and the teaching uh, that comes from these mosques. And the Pew Research Foundation, they did a survey a few years ago uh, about uh, Muslims living in this country, and uh, it's like one out of four at that time supported suicide bombings. And so you could just go to a mosque and you could uh, just, you know, one, two, three, four, okay, one, two, three, four, just one out of four, in America, that in survey America. was America. That's mosque in America. I remember the survey about um, about about Muslims in different countries. I remember that. I remember that one too. No, this um, one is in this country. So, I mean, right there is you know twenty five percent of of those that attend mosque uh, are radicalized. All right. So there's the controversial quote from that from your interview with him. Now, what's controversial isn't simply the the fact that he's calling for an end to Im- Muslim immigration to America. He's talking about uh, the radicalization of Muslims here and that that we're going to turn around one day and there's going to be a catastrophic event. I think he says that maybe he says that later in the interview. Right. Didn't he say something about there's going to be yeah, a catastrophic he says, event you know, that this could end up being it's not it might not just be a shooting. It might be a, a horrific event that involves many other people. So absolutely. Right. I mean, that that's something that he said. And I think. You know, when you when you look at what he said, though, part and you hear me sort of not push back, but say, well, I remember this other study because in my head I'm thinking, is this true? I don't remember the U.S. study. I remember studies uh, that Pew did abroad. Right. Right. Yeah. And as soon as that that interview is is over and we're talking about posting it, you and I are going back and forth like, is that accurate? And and you came to me. And of course, me being just the jerk that I am, like, yeah, it's accurate. (laughs) (laughs) But then we so, then we started getting serious about it. And we just dug into it, and w- and what did we find? 
so we called Pew and we have a relationship, you know, Pew pitches stuff to us. We cover it. And so I reached out to them and I said, Hey, you know, what, what's the deal with this? When's the last time you did a study on this? And we also had found that they did do research in 2007. Right. And right. so what, what Franklin Graham said is, is it's a partially true. Okay. It's true of young American Muslims in 2007. Right. It, Pew found that one quarter of young American Muslims believe that to some extent 26%. a suicide bombing was okay. Right. 26% said 26% of young Muslims, it was like age 18 to 30, right? I think that was the group. The millennials. Right. Yes. <laughs> so ages 18 to 30 among Muslims said, American Muslims, 18 to 30, 26% said that in at least, at least rarely, at least in some cases, a suicide bombing to defend Islam is okay. Which is kind of stunning. But so it's not accurate for him to say you can go into a mosque and say one, two, three, four, one, right. two. No, that's not accurate. The, the, 20, the, the quarter was... Of, of you can go to Muslims. a youth group, maybe, right. and say one, sure. two, three, four. And now maybe maybe um, his point is that when we're talking about radicalized Muslim mosques, Muslim mosques, it is the young. Maybe that's his point, but that's not what her, their numbers found. No, and and look, I mean, uh, and, and so I went to them. They wrote back to me. They said. We did, we did numbers again in 2011. We did another wave of the study. 2011 was almost exactly the same, but we're talking about all Muslims now, okay? Right. So when you talk about all Muslims, the statement that Muslims were given was suicide bombing slash other violence against civilians is justified to defend Islam from its enemies. Right. Now, then they could, they could choose different options. Often, sometimes, rarely, never. Uh, 8% chose often or sometimes... Five percent chose rarely, so which still says you, that they can at least it's justified in at least some cases, but it's rare cases. That's thirteen percent, so right. that's a little more than one in ten people agreeing right. that it's at least rarely okay right. to use suicide. I mean, that's kind of stunning to me. But look, on the flip side, eighty-one percent say never, right. absolutely never, right? Which is suicide up, bombing, which is up three points from two thousand seven. Now, the, yes. the survey that we believe that that Franklin Graham was talking about is the one from 2007. Now, where he maybe has a point, not just in the the fact that it's young Muslims, 26% of young Muslims, but if you look at 2007, under never, it says 78%, which means 22% of Muslims polled by Pew refuse to say that suicide bombing is never, a suicide bombing of civilians is never okay. 20, right, they either they either and, didn't answer it or yeah no, they either that, didn't no, answer a, it or no, they answered it right and that was that is quite of a nuanced view to take or a maybe an incorrect view to take of the poll numbers but you could say if you're Franklin Graham if you're going to rebut to clarify say okay the 2007 survey says 22 percent the 2011 survey says 19 percent but the 2007 survey says 22 percent of all Muslims in America refuse to say. Suicide bombing is ne of civilians is never okay, and maybe and that's I think, his point. Well, look, and and then they compare this in Pew in the Pew study to other countries. What is what stands out to me the most? The cra the craziest, <laughs> and I'm just seeing this now as we're looking at this in Pakistan. This is nuts. Pakistan, the numbers That's are better, better numbers. than they are in the U.S. Yep. And <laughs> and let's see, and Indonesia is about the same. And I mean, that is kind of crazy, right? Yeah, and and Indonesia is a ma majority Muslim country. Right. And so, and this is, excuse me, this, and this kind of harkens back to the, the attacks of 2011, right? It, after those attacks, 
people love to talk about Islam is a is a religion of peace. Okay, fine, whatever. I don't, you know, whatever. Okay, we can have that discussion later. But the problem is the bad guys, the radicals interpretation of Islam. That's the point of Glenn's book. It's not that the 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 religion of Islam itself in a vacuum is a problem. It's that these guys, he says, what religion, what's what's the name of the book? It is about Islam. Um, it is about Islam. Okay, that's so the, name of the, the, the attack, it's, it is about Islam, not in that Islam is a bad religion. That debate also can be had at a later time. The point is that for the bad guys who are trying to kill and destroy the West and destroy Israel, for them, it is about Islam. So let's take a step back and let's look at the number of Muslims in the world. And so let's say that there's 1.2 billion Muslims in the world because isn't that a pretty a pretty widely accepted number? One point, yeah. One point I mean, that's billion. the that's the and, okay. and it's going to expand quite a bit. We can oh, talk sure. about some of those oh, projections rates are too. Huge. Now, if and they like to say well, most Muslims aren't like that. You know, it's the 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 Islam, Osama bin Laden, right? The, the most people aren't Osama like, bin Muslim, Field, right? Most Muslims are not like him. They just, they would disagree with him. Well, that's hardly comforting because if you have 1.2 Muslims and 1% of them agree with Osama bin Laden, so saying 99% disagree, 1%, let's say 1%, just 1% of Muslims agree with uh, Osama bin Laden, you're talking 12 million Muslims who agree with Osama bin Laden. It's it's as look, it's a substantial problem have, extremism. If you, and have, if you have one tenth of one percent who agree with Osama bin Laden, you're talking one point two million Muslims who agree. That's a big friggin' army. That's a that's a problem. So anyway, I don't know. He's well, a lot I, of and what I'm trying to pull up um, right now is what you know, Pew has done. Also, I mean, here we are talking about Pew again. They've done a very good job of projecting into the future sure. uh, what what the dynamic will look like worldwide for religion. And, you know, it's sort of fascinating. They say um, I'm just looking at the numbers in 2010. There were one point one billion atheists or people who were unaffiliated. Uh, it's projected to increase to 1.2, but it'll be a decrease. So that's talking about atheists, uh, Jews, Hindus, and Buddhists, Christians. Uh, let's see. The most notable changes were among Christianity and Islam. Christians accounted for 31% of the world's 6.9 billion people in 2010, and Islam made up 23%. Uh, th they will be equal by 2050. So Christianity and Islam are going to be equal uh, At what, proportions. What about 27%? Do you know? Uh, let's see here. It is Muslims, a comparatively useful population with high fertility rates, are projected to increase by 73%. The number of Christians also is projected to... Hold on. So we're, Okay, so it's going to be an increase of 73% okay. for Muslims. And the number of Christians is projected to rise too, but much more slowly at only about a rate of 35% of the global population overall. So you're basically they're going to be equal. You're going to have num equal numbers of Christians and, and Muslims according to Pew's projections, which are complicated. And but like just just to put it into perspective right now, um, as you said, it's almost one point six billion. In fact, for Muslims, it's one point five nine nine. Christians are two point one six eight right now as of 2010. Now that's going to jump. Christians will be two point nine billion and Muslims will be 2.7 almost 2.8. Wow. wow. So look, my point is if this problem doesn't change, right? right? And you're talking about a massive increase, 
then that's going to be that that smaller group is going to increase yeah. as well. Yep. So, all right. So let's do a. This is only we're only going to do a partial because because we are going to continue talking about Franklin Graham. But just give this a quick short one here. Okay. So Franklin Graham, you had him in to the the news office in New York for an interview, and you had him in. In the interview, he talked about the Islam, and he actually talks about the Pope too, because there's some controversial things he said about the Pope. Um, oh yes, you know, oh while, yes, while, and forgiveness. While Pope was here, and about forgiveness, you want to hear that? You're going to have to go dig up the free fall that we have. You can go to our SoundCloud page. You can go to thechurchboys.com. We've got it posted there. You can hear his statement about the Pope as well, and about the theology. And listen, he's not anti. But he says, "I don't want." The, it's not that I don't want the Pope here. It's that we disagree on X. And he explains that and he lays that out. And I think that if you want to go hear that, go to thechurchboys.com. You can find it there. Now, the rest of the interview. Tell people what you had him initially come in for when then you trapped him into talking about these other things. Um, What did he come in for? Because there's something about his dad that's going on, and, and he came in to share about that. Yes. Yeah, so, so basically, Billy Graham. Every time Billy Graham does something, and I don't mean this in a, in a negative way, when they release something, they say this is the last time, and it's true. It probably is the last book. It probably is. He gave his last speech not too long ago. Right. It was on video. Right. You know, he's going to be ninety-seven years old. So we're sort of at the end of the rope of Billy Graham's life. So he has released what is said to be his final book, right. and this book is all about eternity. All about. Um, his concern over movies like Heaven is for Real, I think, and some of the some oh, really? of the the things about heaven that he feels might not be the most accurate, and also to encourage people, hey, you know, you should be thinking, you should be thinking about your life, your eternal destiny, where you're going to go when you die, and so, um, yeah, th- this is the book. It's called Where I Am: Heaven, Eternity, and Our Life Beyond, and so that's what Franklin Graham came to talk about. I took the opportunity to say, hey, let's talk about some of these other things, too. While your publisher has you here to talk about the book, <laughs> let's talk about these other things that have been going on. That's and he was fine. more than uh, gracious in granting that interview. So right. Cool. All right. So you ready for us to do the interview? Ready for us to play that? Or you, did you want to blab Are you ready? Off, Are you ready, on? Ava? Do you want to announce Maybe she Franklin a, Graham? Yeah, have Ava, have, Ava, have Ava introduce. And now Franklin <laughs> Graham. Could she say that? Um, right now, she has no... Con- you know, it's funny about kids. They just do whatever they want. They That's have sense. no... Um, <laughs> No, no brains. You're gonna have the worst edit job on this one. Um, well, it's okay. Ava, I, some of this Ava? can stay, some of it doesn't stay. Ava, do you want to go upstairs? This is discipline. You can keep it in. Do you want to go upstairs? <laughs> you need to stop talking then until Daddy's done. You can color. This is Daddy's militant discipline. <laughs> Be silent. Um. Okay. You know what, Ava? Look what I found. I found another magical marker here. Okay. Your mic just changed. Did you bump something on your mic? I'm going to lose my mind. It's, it's not recording off your mic right now. It's not? There. Now it's back. Yes. Um, there you go. All right. Hold on one second. Okay. I'm going to get her back upstairs, Whatever. and then we will be done. Okay. So should we play the... Maybe we... Maybe we should just go ahead and we'll play the. the we'll We're the most play. professional show now, boys and girls. This uh, is how you do it. I'm gonna show. lose my mind today. I'm telling you. All right, All right here's right the interview. Back. We'll be right back. Well, thank you so much for coming down today. Glad to do it. So really glad to have you here. Now, your father has a book out, yes. and it's where I am: heaven, eternity, and our life beyond. Yes. What What made your father select this topic? 
Uh, I, I think as he, as he gets older, he realizes he's on, he's on the doorstep of eternity. But at the same time, he has been disturbed about culture, uh, some of this uh, pop culture and books and movies that have come out that portray heaven and, uh, and hell uh, from a different perspective than what the Bible teaches. And my father, all of his life, has always, when he preached, he would always say, the Bible says. And, uh, and so this book, he just takes the Bible and tells what the Bible says about heaven, hell, eternity. Uh, and it, it's a great book. And the chapters are short. It's easy to read. But it's, it's, again, it's going back to what God says heaven is and what God says hell is. Um, and, and not being defined by, by culture. Absolutely, absolutely. And... When you say when you say the depictions of heaven, of course, heaven is for real comes to mind. Some of these other stories are those sort of the the types of stories that have created some concern. I think so, uh, because of you know there's um, there's just some misinformation, and my father wanted it to be clear. You know, the Bible says this. You see, there's only two choices. There's two roads, and he goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, where you have two trees and two choices. And, uh, and mankind today is still faced with, with two choices. Uh, it's either uh, heaven or hell. And uh, we want to think or that you know, God is this loving God and he would never send anybody to hell. He is a loving God, but he's a just God. And God is going to judge evil. He's going to judge those that have rejected him, those that have turned their back on him. Uh, he has no choice but to judge it because he is offering salvation to everyone. Jesus Christ came from heaven to this earth for the sins of mankind. Jesus Christ died on a cross, and when he was on that cross, God poured out on, on Christ the sins of all mankind, past, present, and in the future. And that's us. Uh, that Our sins were put upon him, and he died and he was buried for our sins, and God raised his son to life. And uh, he's not still hanging on a cross like some people like to depict him, artists like to depict him. He's alive and he can come into a human heart. And, and God is willing to forgive us of all of our sins. And it comes by faith. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So let me ask you a very loaded question. What, what is hell? You know, what is hell? Because that, and I, of course, this is the, the age-all debate about well, what is hell? Is it an absence of God? Is it, is it a literal description of, of burning and pain? You know, what is hell? Well, it is described very clearly in my father's book. But you can take the example of, uh, in the scripture, where Jesus tells the story of Lazarus and the rich man. And Lazarus sat at the table of a rich man, and uh, he had leprosy, and he wanted uh, just the scraps that fell off the table, but both of them died. And Lazarus went to, to, to heaven, and uh, the Bible sees, shows him in the, in the bosom of Abraham, being comforted, where in hell the rich man was in torment, and the two could see each other. And uh, the rich man called out to, to Lazarus and asked if he would put his finger into water and just touch his tongue. With, with a drop of water. He didn't ask to be turned loose from hell. He didn't ask to be free. Just a drop of water to soothe my tongue because I'm in torment. And uh, the Bible says that uh, Abraham said there is a great gulf between us from where you are and where we are. And no man can, can cross that gulf. And then La uh, the rich man in hell cried out to Lazarus, then go back to my brothers and warn them of this place. 
And the Bible, Jesus said, even if a man were to raise from the dead and go back and where they won't believe, if they didn't believe the prophets and if they didn't believe the Bible, they're not going to believe someone even if they were to raise from the dead. Uh, but uh, the Bible shows that this rich man was in torment. Now, uh, we know that the Bible describes hell as a place of darkness. We, uh, it's a place of memory. Uh, people will be able to, their souls will remember the opportunities they had to turn from their sins. They will, they will have an opportunity to, uh, uh, to, to hear other people. The, the Bible says that it's a place of, of uh, wailing and weeping. And that there will be millions and millions of souls wailing and weeping for eternity. And with no hope. Because once you're in hell, there is no second chance. There is no, like a purgatory where can I prove myself and maybe get out of here. But right, that's always been an interesting debate to me, the discussion about, you know, I grew up in an evangelical church my whole life, and so never having heard that. And then you, you have discussions about pur purgatory, and it's sort of interesting. It's like, oh, that's an interesting idea, the ability to still be able to get out or get into heaven, rather. But well, they made a movie a number of years ago called Purgatory, and it was a Western film. And it's where I think Bat Masterson and just various, you know, kind of legends of the West and prostitutes of the West and so forth ended up in this town called Purgatory. And if they lived their life for so many years there without sinning, then they would get a second chance. And it's a, it's an injury. If you haven't watched it, it's, I, now I need to see. I have it, not it, seen it, that. It, one. it is kind of a scary thing. <laughs> So, so but let that's me, not. But that's not the way it is, though. No, I mean, and that's not the way for me that I ever. I know that for some, that's that's their theological construct yeah. that they believe in, and and that that's fine by by them. What so? What's heaven then? The op, the the opposing side of that. What do we know of heaven? All right. Well, uh, my father was asked that in the book. Uh, he's been asked, "Where is heaven?" And my father rightfully says, "Heaven is where Jesus is," and he said, "And I'm going to go be with him soon." Now, your father, how's your father doing? You know, he's doing pretty good. He's uh, 97 uh, next month. So wow. uh, never dreamed that he would, uh, he never thought he'd live to be this old. That's unbelievable. Unbelievable. And and so he's doing well. Now, he he chose this topic, obviously, as you were saying. It was it very important. And, and this this is the final book. This is it. I don't see him being able to do another one. He started this one before his 95th birthday where he got the, the outline of the, the book done. He got a uh, summation of each of the chapters done. And then he had uh, a, um, a, a setback in his health. And this project was just shoved off to the side and I, I, just, I just thought he would not be able to complete it. Uh, but uh, after a year, uh, you know, he began to kind of look at it again and do a little work. And so it's just taken some time. But, uh, and feeling like it was something he really wanted to focus on. No question. He wanted to get this done. Um, you know, in your view, we, we sort of look at culture. And I think the interesting thing is where we are right now, we're all so distracted. I mean, I, I have a computer in front of me, a phone in front of me. I think we all are living in that world of distraction. And I think eternity is sometimes the last thing that many of us are thinking about because of those distractions why is it important for us and why would your father say it's important for us to focus on eternity in our everyday lives to be thinking about that well we're here on earth for just a short period of time and none of us knows uh the day that our life will come to an end and you know we think we're just a you know not far from where the world trade center and when on on that uh, September 11th, 2001, when everybody went to work that day, they had plans that day for lunch. They had plans that, that evening for dinner. And uh, they had plans for the next weekend where they would go for the weekend. And 
Uh, but yet, uh, you know, in, in just a matter of minutes, over 3,000 people died on 9-11. Uh, and their lives came to a sudden end. None of us knows uh, how long we have to live. And we need to be ready uh, to stand before God. And we need to make sure that our sins are forgiven and uh, that God will welcome us into his presence. And the only way he'll do that, it's not about being good, it's not about giving money, or it's not about uh, how many good things you do in life. It's about faith and accept, whether you accepted Christ or have you rejected him. And uh, it's either two paths, and again, my father goes back to the very beginning of the book, showing from the Garden of Eden, the two trees and, uh, that were garden, and the and man has two choices. A man today has two choices. They can accept Christ, accept God and his salvation, or they can reject it. And uh, go the, the, the Bible speaks of two roads, a wide, a wide road and a narrow road. And um, my mother had a good description of the two roads. Um, I think I always had this idea of the narrow road being a windy road up some you know, difficult mountain and the broad roads down the valley. And, <laughs> but my mother said the, um, the narrow road is in the middle of the wide road. It's just going the opposite direction. <laughs> <laughs> that, is a good, that is a good way of looking at it. Um, and is, is it ever remarkable? I mean, you, you talk and you speak every day on issues of culture, issues of faith, and your father has for, for decades and decades. Is it ever remarkable, though, to sort of reflect back for both you and for your father of just how much impact? I mean, I think he's spoken to more people face-to-face than anybody else about the gospel. Else, yeah. what, is th- what is that legacy like to consider and to ponder? Is that something that you guys spend time thinking well, about? But he, you know, he spoke 12 to 12 million people face-to-face. And I don't know how many millions more through his films and watching him on television and so forth. Uh, and whether that will ever be broken again or not, I don't, I don't know. Um, but my father came along in a period of time when the United States only had three networks, ABC, NBC, and CBS. And uh, when he bought time on television, and when he would go into a market, he would try to buy all three uh, stations in that market. So uh, during the course of a week when he was on TV, uh, you may not have many options because, you know, you turn on ABC, uh-oh, there's Billy Graham. You flip the channel, uh-oh, there he is again. Flip the channel, oh, he no, flooded all it. three. Yeah. <laughs> he found a way to flood it. It's but, smart. But uh, today uh, we have, I don't know, is it a couple hundred channels in some markets? Uh, you know, it's just huge. And um, so that will never take place again. But we do have today things like uh, Facebook, we have today uh, social media, Twitter, and these types of things that allow, allow us to communicate instantly uh, with uh, sometimes millions of people. And uh, if my father, you know, in, in his early days, if there had been something like Facebook, who knows what. <laughs> no, that's a good point, imagine. It, it is fascinating what he was able to do and grow and build at a time. Yeah, you can go in and buy all the time that you want, but, but the ability to have almost that, and I hate to use the terminology rock star effect, but that's what it was. I mean, that's what it is. It's the ability to appeal to. Well, he would, he would say that this is something God did. He, he would never take credit for that. He would never think, you know, that it was because of his abilities or his cleverness. It wasn't. It was simply God. And he just, he would give God the, the credit, the God, the glory for, for everything in his life. And, um, and he, he's very sincere about that. Uh, he knows that God did it. Church boys. There are 
So we spent some time with a very well-known person, a journalist, David Gregory, who was the former host of Meet the Press and right. had a really great, honestly, great conversation it with was, him about his faith. It was, right? it was fascinating. In fact, you know how much I loved our interview with with, with some other musical celebrities and, uh, and yes. what a blast I had and the fact that I was ready to pick out the drapes with a couple of them. This was maybe the most fascinating interview we've done. And and perhaps it's because he's the most famous of the people that we've... Well, the Oak Ridge Boys are pretty pretty freaking famous. But this was just this was intriguing to me because it so caught me off guard. Because when you emailed me that we were going to have this interview and then what we were going to talk about, I thought, what? That didn't make any sense to me. It didn't register at all. But I found it fascinating. So tell people more about this. So David Gregory has this book out, How's Your Faith? And what I actually love about this story, most of anything else, is that that title, How's Your Faith? It's all about his journey into embracing his Jewish heritage, his faith. And the person who inspired the name of the book Mm -hmm. is sort of fascinating to me, too. George W. Bush, who, who David Gregory covered. Um, extensively and who he's he had obviously worked with quite a bit and right. and George Bush knew he was exploring his faith David Gregory and he right. said to him how's your faith yeah and he said he found it to be such a great question right. that it stuck with him and that's when he named his book yeah. and so he spends time in the book uh, talking to a lot of well-known faith leaders Joel Osteen he talks to an imam he talks to Cardinal Dolan sort of all over the map talking to people about faith and how to answer sort of life's big questions. And we got a chance to talk with him quite a bit about his journey. Um, His wife and him, they're they're in a a multi-faith marriage. She's a Christian, he's Jewish. And so I won't give any more details away, but it was really, I thought, fascinating. Well, you can because this is an interview that we posted before oh, the yes. recorded the show. Well, I don't want to yeah, but I want to drive people to it. Oh, yes, absolutely. If you want to hear the interview with David Gregory, go to the churchboys.com. We've got we'll have it there. It's also on SoundCloud. You can get it on iTunes. All that stuff it's posted. So you can go get it. So this we did it. We we were going to do this interview with David about we were going to go like 20, 25 minutes and talk about his faith. And then we got a chance to say I, I said, David, yes. you can tell me to just go away if you want, but you can tell I, me to go pound sand, I David. But I didn't say pound sand. You didn't. I didn't. You didn't. No, I, I, but I did say let me ask you like four times. That's my <laughs> thing. That let fine. me ask you. That's fine. But I did get a chance. I said, now, if you don't want to talk about this, that's fine. But kind of we talk about, you know, politics and things. And he was actually willing to do that. And we had a really good discussion with him about politics, the current GOP uh, fight for the nomination and the and the d- Democratic, you know, uh primary fight that's going on you and then talked about you talked about your write-in campaign for kim davis right and i talked about that and then we, you also got into a discussion with him about media things so he has some very interesting things i think to say about donald trump about the gop and what kind of candidate they're going to find it's like we have this opportunity the gop has this opportunity to find a candidate that they like will they do it you know the the, the possibilities for the gop right now are endless and then he does he does talk about the hillary thing and about benghazi and what else did he talk about? He talked about I mean, Sanders. it was a oh, lot. Joe Biden. He talked about Joe Biden. And he, he gives us our prediction on whether or not he thinks Joe Biden's going to hop in. It's really, really fascinating. And then you asked him about media. And don't tell him the answer, but tell him what you asked him about, about I, I the said, media. look, you've worked in media a long time. You've worked in the quote-unquote mainstream media. What do you think? Do you think that what conservatives complain about all the time... Look, conservatives have anecdotal examples sure. sometimes, I said to him, and other times they don't have really good examples of, of bias, of liberal bias. And I said, what do you think? What's your yeah. answer? Is there liberal bias? Right. And he, so he does. He answers that honestly. Let me also add that he at, people say he said people like to get on my case about giving 
being unfair to George, you know, W. Bush, President Bush. And he said, President Bush always thought I was fair. He even told me I always thought you were fair. And so I thought that was fascinating as well. Anyway, what he had to say was great. And, you know, and at the, at the, at the risk of sounding crass and yet also sappy, let me say that I, what was the, what was the headline I told you we could use? What did I write in Slack to you? We were talking about I, possible headlines for this. What, oh, yes. Um, oh, presumed, yes. Presumed, yes, yes. I, I had a derivative of it, yes. <laughs> presumed dick, not so dickish after all. Because that's how <laughs> fair or not. Chris was like, Chris was like David, everyone I, in America I just, I just, who ha- who's right of center hates you and wants you to just fall off the face of the earth, but and, you really made me like you. Well, and that's, and is, is that or is that not at least semi-true? I think we're conservatives, yeah, but they, they, and they always thought he was kind of a jerk, and he would do his. And now we didn't bring this up, but he remember. Do you remember what was when he's talking to? Uh, I think he's talking to President Bush, and he spoke. He asked a question in French or something, you know. And <laughs> people go, "Oh, typical David Gregory, harum for rum for rum." And there are other things. Uh, listen, there are, there are we have a lot of preconceived notions about a lot of media celebrity types, and David Gregory for me was one, and I was totally totally wrong about him and i just i thought he was fascinating i thought he was genuinely a nice person yes oh absolutely so all that said should we go ahead and just play this interview david gregory and sadie robertson those are my favorites but yes yes we should play the interview okay well then (laughs) on that note here we go (laughs) let me ask you and you know the risk of sounding crass can I can I turn to politics for a minute? Yeah, yeah. So, what's your take on the on the GOP race as it's as it's playing mm-hmm. out now, especially with the Donald Trump uh, factor? Yeah. What's what's your what's your, what what has stood out to you, or what has amused you most, or or any of that with the well, Trump, I mean, GOP? Uh, you know, amuse amuse, but then concerned about right. Trump. I mean, <laughs> I, I think you know, I just think it's unbelievable that the party, you know, after losing said, you know, what, what we need to do is avoid another spectacle. So let's limit the number of debates and change the, the right. nomination process and all that. And now look what they've got. Um, but, you know, look, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's coursing through the country right now and a lot of real anger, people feeling like the political system doesn't work for them, right. that they're you know, generally pessimistic about our economy and about, you know, their chances in the country. Um, and, and I think there's so much division in the country, right? I mean, right. We, we've been polarized for a while, but, yeah. you know, we've got a lot of people pitted against each other. And I think there's a lot of people who are conservative or who would identify, maybe they would identify as, you know, libertarians or maybe they're Republicans or whatnot, who, who are just angry about what's going on and who think the culture's changing and that yeah. the country's, um, you know, is, is deteriorating. And I think, you know, there's a lot of these people who look at the political system and say, hey, not working for me. Right. Not working for me. And all these bozos, you know, this is a Republican establishment. They can't seem to win. And when they do win and when they get into power, they can't seem to get anything done. And right. Barack Obama, get, you know, is, is, is doing, is able to get away with all these things. So we need something different. And I think that kind of creates this room for a guy like Trump. Yeah who just screams and yells and is rude and anti-immigrant and sexist and, and uh, puts down POWs and is, you know, has an arrogance, which people at some level like, yeah. and um, he's just kind of rolling over everybody. Yeah. Now, you know, I, I, again, I describe him as a, as a Roman candle that will burn out. Yeah. Um, but he sucks a lot of oxygen out of the room. He, he can point, he can say some things that uh, people say, yeah, you know what? That's how I feel. And I just think, you know, as a journalist, 
um, what I say is, you know, let's just go through the issues. I mean, for any of these guys, let's just talk right. about the issues and talk right. about, you know, I love the whole North Korea example. You know, like right. he's going to he's going to fix North Korea because China's going to respect him. Really? <laughs> you know, because I want to see the meeting with 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 President Xi who says, uh, hey, President Trump. You have a problem with all those Mexicans coming into the country? We don't want all those North Koreans coming into the country. And if we tell the North Koreans to basically shape up and, you know, we turn the lights on and start feeding people, they're going to they're, they're going to want more. And they're going to want to like get into the middle class and they want to come to China. We don't want them in China. We got enough problems. Right. And that's a fact. That is a reality. That's one of the reasons why the Chinese don't do more to put their thumb on the North's regime. Yeah. So, I mean, does Donald Trump have any sense of that? He thinks that just no. because he's got some Chinese bank in one of his buildings that they're <laughs> going to respect him? That's the kind of stuff that I just think needs to be exposed so people kind of, you know, get yeah, their well, head the, the, it. I, the <laughs> idea that he's going to fix North Korea, a small little problem, <laughs> because, yeah, right. because he's totally dominated China, which is not a big, a small problem. I mean, it's just yeah. a, a counterintuitive, but whatever. Well, I think but I think would... look, but I think this whole thing about you know if you've got you've got Carson, you've got Fiorina, you've got Trump, you yeah. know they're all non-conventional candidates, and right. at this stage right now they're dominating because I think I had a really smart strategist say to me recently that conservatism is a feeling right now. It's a mm. kind of state of mind. It's not an actual policy-driven ideology at the moment. Right. I think Republicans got to figure out how to go big. Yeah. This is a big moment for conservatives to figure out what is conservatism that works, that expands the party, that can recapture the White House. And, it, and the answer cannot be um, intolerance and going smaller because I mean, you're just not going to win the White House if conservatives do that. So it's a, it's, a, it's a moment that cries out for big leadership. And, you know, a lot of guys like Jeb Bush, I mean, like I covered W for eight years and, and I just, with all respect, his brother Jeb is just not as good of a politician as W is. Right. And, and so he has a hard time playing really big right now. Yeah. Let, let me ask you, on, on the Democratic side, do you think, you know, who knows what's going to happen with Hillary and the emails, the, all the emails and all that stuff that's going on. And, and again, we, we, may, we may never know the full extent of what's, what has happened or what's going to happen. But right. do you think that, uh, again, I, one, do you think that Biden will get in? And two, will Biden or any of her other uh, competitors, her opponents for the Democratic nomination, will they ever really get into the Benghazi e- or the or the email thing? Either one of those things. Do you think they'll actually use that as a bludgeon against her if if they get desperate enough, or 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 are they too invested? Is their party too invested in the Clinton narrative? Yeah, you know, that's a really good question. What I could see is um, a. I think they could say, look. The pro, you know, the, the whole email thing is an example of what even supporters don't like about the Clintons. It hurts their ability to win. It hurts their ability to kind of focus on their agenda because they kind of create distractions for themselves. Um, you know, the truth of the matter is we're like way off. We're way of, we have run aground from Benghazi. You know, the idea that somehow there's some smoking gun here about Benghazi, I think, is, is off base. Mm-hmm. You know, the issue with Benghazi that is a real subject of criticism, if you want to go there, is that we were part of a coalition that took out Muammar Gaddafi and right. we said, OK, good luck. We'll see you later. Right. And right. we left the place to become, you know, uh, just a, 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 a chaos ground. And we thought that we can have, you know, we could just do that kind of stuff, decapitate the, the, the king and, and, and uh, 
everything would take care of itself. That was the folly of Benghazi. And, and of course, the tragedy of what happened at the, uh, you know, at the embassy with killing of our ambassador. So, but I, I think that that's the kind of line of attack. And I think, yeah. you know, just her, Hillary Clinton's judgment about, you know, whether, you know, lots of things are true. Is there political motivation about this? Yes. Is, is the press, you know, want to jump on this story? Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, you know, she, she made a decision to wipe her server and right. that just was not, it was just not a good call. And, right. uh, so she's now had to apologize for that, and, and, and so this thing keeps getting fueled. My own sense about Biden is this would be a really good moment. You look at the polling that's just come out, and it indicates that he fares better against some of these, uh, these folks on the Republican side. And I think uh, he's just got some you know, more political chops and more engaging politically. Yeah. I, I still, I'm, I'm just trying to, I guess, bunk conventional wisdom a little bit here. I don't think in the end he gets in, but I, I think if he does, mm. it's probably a good time. Yeah, interesting. My last question for you is more more about media, and I think, and I don't know how you want to answer it or if you <laughs> want to answer it, but you know, I mean, look, conservatives for years have complained and said, "Oh, the media has a liberal bias," and sometimes they have good anecdotal examples, sometimes they don't. As somebody who's who's worked in media for a very long time and the ins and the outs of it, how would you respond to the accusation that yes, there is a liberal bias in media? Yeah, I, I say there is. And I mean, the first time I said that in a speech or something, you know, the blogs went crazy. You sure. know, Gregory admits it. Yeah, <laughs> I think there's liberal bias in the media, but I always add to that. I don't think it's that simple. Hmm. It's not just about a liberal bias. It is about a bias toward conflict. It is uh, sometimes geographic bias. It's sometimes cultural bias. Sometimes it's secular bias. Um, you know, I write about the criticism of Bush and his faith, which I always thought was off base. Remember the interview with Bob Woodward, and right. he was asked, "Do you appeal to your father? You get advice from your father?" And he says, "I, I have a higher father that I appeal to." Hmm. And people were freaked out. Oh God, is God telling Bush what to do? <laughs> no, uh, people of faith get that. Which yeah. is, you know, he's praying yeah. to God for strength and and comfort. And you know, you know, guess what? There's a lot of people who do that. Right. Um, so. I mean, I think these are all forms of bias. I guess what's hard for me now as I look at the media landscape is I look at because more conservative media has, you know, if conservative media was born of an age when it was trying to correct for the huge institutional bias of, of uh, you know, big establishment media, you know, I think we've seen a big kind of, um, you know, course correction in that. And now I just, I see so much of the media as being, just fractured mm. and there's a lot of um you know criticism within its ranks that uh i don't know i i don't know quite how to put it it's like uh i don't know it just it just gets so negative and everybody questioning each other's motives about what what is covered and why it's covered and the degree to which it's covered and you know i think there can be some um some blame all around on that and i and i guess what i say to people is you know you got to you got to be open to challenging your worldview. Yeah. And we're in a media age now where a lot of people are turned to media and turned to information to join this titanic struggle over ideas and ideology to win the argument. And it's not always about enlightenment. I always like to be, you know, exposed to other points of view and say, yeah, okay, well, gosh, that's really smart. And I don't agree with it, but it's really smart. I mean, look at Charles Krauthammer who's such a celebrated columnist and, you know, cause he's just so smart. 
Now, you may disagree with him or agree with him, but the point is, like, you know, this is just a smart guy. And he's not, it's not all rote, you know, um, point of view. Right. So I just en- encourage people to, to challenge themselves a little bit. And I think if we do that, we could, we could eliminate some of the silos within, within the media. Yeah, I agree. I, I sort of lied. Can I ask you one more question about this? Because yeah. something you brought up the the Bush coverage, which I think is interesting. And one thing, as a reporter who covers faith a lot, and just looking at how faith is dealt with itself, outside of the liberal political bias that people claim is there, it does seem, and correct me if you think I'm wrong, that there is a level of not necessarily understanding faith just sort of across the board in a lot in a lot of media outlets and you know I know you don't like the term mainstream but yeah you know, in, in sort of the mainstream traditional media yeah um, do you think that's true and and if so what how do how do you correct that you know what's the <coughs> way to correct the the <coughs> issues yeah I mean I just think that I think we can have a broader discussion about kind of faith and public life that does not revolve around really hot button policy issues. In other words, can we talk about a politician's inner life and their faith life without it being a question of their views on abortion or same-sex marriage? Right. Can we talk about what it means to pursue a relationship with God and how you, how it how it makes you the person you are, how it helps you uh, seek humility or or make decisions or deal with other people or deal with your you know personal characteristics that you that you want to deal with? I mean, people understand that um, you know you can have a certain ideology even about like America's place in the world. And it doesn't mean that you want to, you have a messianic form of Christianity. That means you want to go invade Iraq and, right. you know, start another crusade in the name of Christianity. Um, so how do we get to a place where we have a broader, you know, discussion about, it? I, I mean, yeah, I, I agree. I, it's interesting because I know, I know a fair amount of people, even in the so-called, you know, more liberal mainstream media who are people of faith, um, and yet, I, I don't know. I mean, I, and I, for a long time, I would have put myself in this group too. I think maybe just not having enough, a lot of exposure to people of faith. Um, maybe the exposure they do have is, is people who are in public life, who are real grassroots, you know, organizers in politics. And, um, so it does revolve around those issues. So I, I think, um, uh, you know, this idea, when I remember asking Bush about this, and he said, you know, a lot of people think if, if you are open about your faith that you make irrational decisions. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's, that's what I, we need to work on, that somehow if you're a person of faith, you know, it does not mean you're irrational. So I, I, do, think, I do think that's a problem. And, um, and I think that we ought to, in, in newsrooms, be able to talk more openly about faith and, and public life without it being people starting to, you know, dive under their desks because they're afraid that somehow we've crossed some <laughs> yeah. huge barrier yeah. and we're not supposed to be talking about this. Right. Well, you know, I mean, it's just weird, isn't it? I mean, we expect yeah. our leaders to be people of faith, but then a lot of the country gets is wary of them talking about it or yeah. acting on it. And yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think just talking about it more in public life in a way that's not always attached to a particular, um, you know, issue of how government gets involved is probably constructive too. In other words, I, I mean, I love to talk about faith and all of that, but you know, I'm also not, I mean, I'm not a commentator. So, I mean, if, like, if you want my views on same sex marriage and what about my, you know, what the Bible said and all that, you know, 
I mean, that's just not my thing. Right. Right. I'm not always right. interested right. in, you know, kind of getting into all that stuff. Right. I mean, that's in the, more in the public policy realm. And I know for a lot of people, that's a big area of faith. But, you know, that's just not where I, Interesting. especially as a journalist, you know, I'm not going to wade into all that. Sure. Awesome. Well, this has been this so, has been great, Chris. Do you have anything else? Well, you I wanna... just I needed to tell I needed to tell David something, uh, you know. I and I, let, let me speak for myself and not for Billy. But I like I think a lot of our listeners and a lot of Blaze um, readers and a lot of Glenn Beck fans who also happen to be Blaze readers have a very or at least before now had a very preconceived notion about you, David. Um, uh-huh. um, I think there's a very there has been a very negative. Uh, view of you and and I'm sure you have felt that or heard that or seen that or whatever form that took um but I just among conservatives you're um, saying, among right? conservatives yeah among you know among, among the the blaze grassroots types uh, I just need to say that I need to apologize to you I have been when Billy told me that we were doing this interview with you I said well that's kind of that seems strange you know it you know <laughs> uh just because I, I and I didn't realize that you had this faith book out and the faith journey that you've been on and and um but I have always had preconceived notions about you, you know, right or wrong formed by other people's opinions and the things that I thought I was seeing on television, but I need to apologize to you and say, I, you know, you're a good guy, David Gregory. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, if, if, if you're telling us the truth today, which I believe that you are, you are, a you are, a, you are a good man. And, and I appreciate the, the things you're coming out and saying and your willingness to stand firm on the things that you believe and on your faith journey and exposing it and saying, Hey, listen, this journey isn't done, right? This goes on until I'm, you know, until I'm dead, I suppose. But, um, anyway, yeah, well, I, you know, I appreciate you. that. And I, and I, um, look in, in, in the, you know, I mean, there, there's, there's criticism of me or criticism of myself that, 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 that I internalize, but that, which is more kind of popular, uh, among conservatives, I've always wanted to say, you know, where it stems from, you know, my coverage of president Bush and, and of the white house generally, you know, there's a there is like a, a level of kind of caricaturing, you know, sure. the, the role that I was in. And, um, you know, I have first of all, I have a great deal of respect for President Bush and he for me. Um, and and what I've always appreciated is that he always felt that I was fair to him. Good. And that meant a lot to me. And it's very easy for whether it was Fox News or, or other outlets to go after me based on questions I asked. Um or certain, you know, divining where I might be coming from, uh, you know, again, that, that just, that has its, that has its limits. And, you know, to whatever extent I brought that on myself, I, I bear responsibility for that. And it's not that I didn't make, you know, some mistakes, but I, you know, I, I, I do stand by my reporting and, and, and how I've, uh, you know, covered these issues, both at the White House and at, and at Meet the Press. And I, I, I did always want to say to conservatives who thought I was too tough on Bush, <laughs> you know, if only you knew that he actually thought I was extremely fair to him. That's good. And uh, That's good. Uh, I always thought that would matter. But, you know, the same is true on the left, you know, where there was a time when I was celebrated by MSNBC for asking all these tough questions in the briefing. I mean, that stuff right. got out of hand, too, because okay. I thought that, you know, asking tough questions if it's a White House correspondent is what you ought to do. That's right. your job. And it's part of, and it's a part of the process. <laughs> right. And, you know, right. if you take it apart, you know, Ari Fleischer used to say, like, you know, I, I would be really tough in the briefing room, but then always really fair on the evening news because a lot of that stuff I never used in my actual report because I didn't think it was relevant. Right. And yet in cable news or, in, you know, on the Internet, it would kind of get played and got played in and out. Um, 
in an, in an outsized way that got to what I'm talking about, which is that we, we start to divine where people are coming from, mm-hmm. um, and especially when it gets to sort of dissecting the mainstream media. And again, I'm not saying that I'm beyond criticism at all uh, or part of kind of you know buying into a certain narrative or advancing that or whatever it was, and, and so it's fair to disagree with some of that stuff. But I appreciate what you say, and, and uh, you know, and... Um, you know, I, I suppose I benefit a little bit from the surprise factor in this book, and it's yeah. it's uh, it's been a newer a newer road for me, but one that's uh, that's very meaningful, and um, you know, so I hope it's uh, received well, and uh, and uh, yeah, so people see me a little bit differently, right. then, then all the better. Well, <laughs> well listen, you, we appreciate you taking the time. We'd love to have you back on again sometime soon. Yeah, anytime. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. All, all right. right, thanks a lot. Thanks, David. Well, speaking of famed journalists, that was a nice little um, rejoinder there. So, Billy, we need to head out here in a minute, but you had a funny story or a couple funny stories on The Blaze in the last week or so about this this woman who's like 103 years old and is causing (laughs) major controversy in her church. It's like super serious unrest. What's going on here? So... I thought maybe you'd had a stroke there. No, sorry. (laughs) No, let me tell you what just happened. So a video started autoplaying. Oh, okay. And and I actually thought you were... It's funny because the video was about this woman. And I'm like, is Chris rolling a video right now? (laughs) And you're like, so Billy, what happened? And I'm like listening to it and realizing that that's not the case. Yes, folks, we went to journalism school. All right, so anyway. Who's we? um, I didn't. Well, you did. Did you? I mean... Did you I did. did you go to journalism yeah. school? At, I did. Yeah, I mean, at it King's mean College or wherever it is you went. Where'd you go? King, you're acting like I'm a Christian. I did not go to King's College. Um, I went to Mount Saint Vincent, oh, that, which is a Catholic and college. A, and you were a journalism major. I was a journalism major. Okay. Yes. And then I went to Hunter College after that to study social research, which right. sounds about as exciting as it was. And Billy, I, and, I would I would like to quote your mother and say, "You can do better." <laughs> All right. Anyway, this woman. Okay, so she's 103 years old, which is amazing in itself. And she's been going to this church, brace yourself, for 92 years. And her family helped start it up. Her name is Janora Ham Biggs, Mm -hmm. which is a very interesting name. And the church is Union Grove Baptist Church. It's in Georgia. The long story short of this debate is that her and the rev, she and the reverend, Reverend Tim Maddox, got into some sort of battle over theology. It sounds like she felt like he was too Pentecostal and it was a Baptist church, and so she didn't want him um, doing the laying of hands on people. She, and so it erupted into this huge thing. Jeez. Over the summer, this woman is kicked out of the church by the pastor. He writes a letter and says, you're no longer welcome to come to the church you've been attending for 92 years. Because now, this little one-year-old, 100-year-old lady... Just causing too many problems. <laughs> so, right, you're done. Now, it, now there was a press there was a, a press um, event yesterday where other members of the church were like, "Look, the media has painted this woman to be a saint, and she's awful." <laughs> um, so we don't well, know that the truth. Well, that may be What true. we do know is Janora won because in the end, the pastor it got really heated. So he got a restraining order against her family members. Didn't um, he get fired? Well, they did try to fire him. Some members of the church voted to but fire him. But they voted him, him out. And he re- right. So it's like, but like, 
Now he's board, leaving. He's right, but if quitting. the board fires you, you can't just be not declare yourself not fired. I, but I don't think the board... I actually think everybody in this church, it divided into factions, and they all were claiming they ran the church. <laughs> so, so his team, his side was like, no, she's crazy. Her side was like, no, he's crazy. So this became a national news story because it was like watching Jerry Springer inside oh of a church. And I mean, no throwing of chairs, but a lot of drama. And <laughs> now he decided to leave, and he's taking other church members with him, and they're starting a new church. I think it's called New Bethlehem. Are they all under 100? They made it clear that Janora is not welcome in that church, but they turned the other church, Union Grove, over to her. So she's very happy. She so said she's this like, is wonderful. She's now the pastor of this church? I mean, she's in charge of it with the other whoever's left. I mean, I don't know how many members are in this church, but oh, apparently not enough to, to temper this chaos. of. I mean, oh, and by the way, a judge was involved because yeah. of the restraining order. This is going to be going to court. I mean, it was crazy. So... Um, and it's funny because here's the quote that I love from the attorney for t the the uh, pastor Maddox. Right. The actual members of Union Grove Baptist Church are leaving the church and disassociating. So <laughs> they all claim to be the real members of the church. I don't know who is, but all I know is Janora is overjoyed. She is speaking out and saying how happy she is. She's like, look, I want them to come back if they want to be Baptist. I want them all back. <laughs> but if they feel like they want to be holiness then let them go with Reverend Maddox. Now, the twist in the story, she was his teacher decades ago, right, a long time like ago. a long time ago, yeah. She's a Sunday school teacher. <laughs> right. So, um, I mean, so I mean look, she's been there for 92 years. So yeah, it's like, yeah, I mean, right. everybody she else is dead everybody. that yeah. was in the church. Yeah. They got to be. Yep. She, she kind of owns it by default. <laughs> 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 it's my favorite story. It is. It's but look, story. but my point is everyone's painting it out like, oh, Janora won because she is 103 years old. And look, she may be a very sweet young woman or she may have really been causing a lot of problems oh, in the church. True. We don't know. Listen, and I have been at churches that have split and it is ugly. And things like that will happen, including senior members of the church think that they that they own the place. And that's senior not members uh, of. Um, let me stop. That's <laughs> senior, but it's not your church. That's what you, they, and that's what I. Senior members of my homeowners association think they own everything too. <laughs> you know, it's just. I think it comes with the territory after eighty. Yeah, I know. All right. Well, anything Is else? That, you, am I discriminating against the elderly? Oh, I hope so, because you need to do something. Things are out of control. <laughs> All right. Anything else you need to tell the people, Billy? Uh, happy Hanukkah. It's not Hanukkah. In a couple months. In a couple, a couple months. months. It's on. Kwanzaa, happy, Hanukkah, Christmas. Happy, They're coming. Happy first weekend of October. Hey, isn't this Pastor Appreciation Month or something like that? Isn't October Pastor Appreciation Month? You should. Do I don't this. know. There's, a, there's an appreciation I day know, every day. The I only know. one I pay attention to is National Coffee Day, which just passed. All right. What about uh, what about National Faith Editor Appreciation Month? That is in December before Christmas. So oh, yeah? you buy me something nice. Okay. Well, I'll we'll get right on that. Any advice for the people out there, Billy? You Read your hadith. And the blaze. We'll talk to you later. Um, bye bye. Bye. <laughs> bye, Felicia. Bye, Ava. The Church Boy.